It's FTX. It's a safe and easy way to get into crypto. Yeah, I don't think so. And I'm never wrong about this stuff. Never. Hello, friends and enemies. It's episode 209 of This Machine Kills. I'm Jathan, joined by Ed and producer Jeremy, as always. And it's, it's the TMK News Desk. We have breaking news. Uh, you know, we had other plans for this episode. We had, you know, we had, we had some content on the schedule that we're now going to have to push back because I don't know about y'all, but, you know, like our friend Kevin Roos at the New York Times, I'm absolutely stunned at the sudden change in events uh, with, the, with the collapse of FTX, one of the major crypto exchanges, uh, in, in, in a series of events that were just completely unforeseeable to anybody but a wizard with a crystal ball. Nobody could have seen this happening. Uh, I'm, I'm standing around in the rubble of, you know, uh, a gigantic skyscraper, you know, a skyscraper that many pointed at as uh, the pillar of the new economy, uh, the pillar of a new society, the salvation for many of the things that ail us. And yet, and yet I wake up in the morning. It's like, it, Ed, it's like 9-11 for Web3 today. I wake up and that <laughs> pillar of the economy is just, it's just gone. It's in, it's, it's rubble. And, and I'm shocked and I'm stunned and I, I, I'm, 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 I'm showing up and I'm asking who did this? We're trying to find the man that did this. Who did it? <laughs> We'll never know. Um, we'll never know. They're hiding behind the blockchain. Um, th- this is really just a sad coincidence in a chain of events. Uh, who no one could have predicted that this was going to happen. Uh, and I'm I'm shocked, as is the rest of the crypto community, about what happened over the past week. <laughs> I love reading the the people like Kevin Roos who are you know in the New York Times literally using the word like stunned right like I, a stunning series of events un, you know unforeseeable I, I I imagine you know instead of instead of people like Kevin being uh, uh, like a, a canary in a coal mine you know alerting us to invisible dangers um, before they be, you know before the gases build up uh, and, and kill us all you know like, oh no the canary dies it's time to get out of this coal mine you know be- before before we get overtaken I imagine uh, Kevin Roos instead is like a, a canary who's just been choking on thick billowing clouds of smoke and being like, I think everything is fine in here. Actually. Uh, you know, I like, like keep, keep, keep mining, keep mining that crypto. Uh, you know, don't smoke. I don't see no smoke. (laughs) I don't see no smoke. What you talking about? (laughs) And then suddenly, uh, you know, he's got the black lung and he's like, who could have ever seen this happen? I'm stunned. (laughs) Why did nobody warn us? (laughs) (laughs) You know, there are a lot of things we can dive in a lot of angles and, and threads to tease out here. But I think also one of the overarching things is, yeah, you know, like a lot of shock and outrage over the collapse of FTX, you know, the second largest crypto exchange, which had displaced Coinbase. Um, for trading 
uh, customer deposits and usually using them to subsidize speculative ventures. But as we'll talk about here, and you know, in another episode on on a paper by Saltillo Morova about uh, what democratizing finance and money might actually look like, this impulse is like a real one in in a lot of these speculative and um, and and thinly justified, absent of of a real use case uh, enterprises. And also, just like it's been happening all year with crypto, right? I mean, this is what you know happened with BlockFi, with Voyager, with Celsius, with Three ROC. Um, what's going to happen with more funds and and or more exchanges and platforms um, as either uh, ongoing liquidity crunch, you know, expands, or as uh, places that were directly funded by or given credit facilities by FTX or by, you know, firms connected to FTX wake up or, you know, fess up and say that, oh, we don't actually have anything in our accounts. We traded it all the way on gambling and we, you know, we lost it all or got hacked, as uh, FTX did say, right? But I think like the core thing here is a lot of people are surprised Oh, no, sorry. A lot of people are saying they're surprised. And one thing that is helpful to think about is like, you know, um, given what we know about crypto, is it reasonable for someone to be surprised? And then who's being, who's doing the surprise and what else were they surprised about? Or, you know, what were they saying these things were? Because a lot of times you get people who were surprised about this and were all surprised about all the other ventures and were surprised about something that, as I think we'll talk about, is kind of a structural necessity in crypto because there's not really any real money here, right? There's a lot of leverage. Everyone is over-leveraged and, 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 and ex- involved in extended chains of debt and speculation and synthesization, synthesizing of, of assets that they mark up themselves to give the appearance of real value circulating. But one of the reasons why a lot of these crashes are so spectacular is because you dig through the books and there's not really anything there, right? You dig through the books and the volume is being pushed by one person. You dig through the books and half of the portfolio is a coin that the issuer was holding themselves and letting people use as collateral. Half of um, you dig through the books and you see that a lot of the a lot of the trades were you know wash trades. I think it'll be good to go through FTX because it really is kind of a perfect encapsulation of. Everything that can go wrong, uh, did go wrong, will go wrong, and um, the blind, the blinkers, the blinders that are in place um, when it comes to a lot of people's takes and perspectives on on how crypto is supposed to work and is working, as well as like you know a good deal of um, effective altruism bullshit, right? Because effective out, well, specifically long-termism is wrapped up really closely into this. Um, and I think that's also something that kind of illustrates that adds another dimension to this that I don't think has been fully fleshed out yet, but is going to be in the coming days and weeks. Um, as we get a better look as the bankruptcy proceedings happen for FTX, as more people fess up and come out the woodwork, as other places go bankrupt, you know, getting a sense of just like, what are the actual philosophies, morals, and values of people here in this space? Mm. Yeah. And then we don't say bankruptcy metaphorically, like FTX has now officially filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy in Delaware, uh, you know, less than a day after claiming everything was okay, as you wrote in, uh, in your vice motherboard piece, right? <laughs> uh, which seems to be a, a series of events here too, right? Like, we'll let, let's get into the, the details of actually what happened, but there, but one of the themes here is the like, 
you know, one day saying everything is perfectly fine. And then the next day, uh, filing for bankruptcy or like in the case of, uh, like, you know, FTX was going to, uh, you know, sell it, you know, sell itself to, uh, Binance, right? Like Binance was, was looking at buying FTX, uh, and, and then like, you know, less than a day later, uh, the Binance's CEO and founder, uh, backed out of the deal. Uh, even though it's like, what new stuff came to light? Uh, you know, that made, it wasn't like, oh, he's going to buy it. And then these revelations about, you know, FTX's books, uh, you know, came out. It's like, no, like finance was in talks right of buying FTX. Like after all of this stuff, you know, uh, aired all these revelations that we'll get into as FTX was in this like debt spiral and Binance was going to come in, swoop it up and then, you know, uh, save it and, and, and take out. It's like one main competitor in the crypto exchange market. Um, and then, but instead what they, what he, uh, uh, Binance's founder, like offloaded all of the FTT, which is the FTX token that FTX, uh, creates. And as we'll talk about was, you know, uh, doing a lot of, uh, chicanery with uh with its relationship with alameda research the hedge fund that uh sam bankman free founded before he founded ftx but it's it, there's a lot going on here and in, in that way of like people saying they're going to do one thing or saying everything is perfectly fine we found a solution it's all good and then the next day being like uh we're filing for bankruptcy uh the solution we found has evaporated uh you know there, there there's there's nothing here and i think a lot of it really does boil down to exactly that point you made where like none of this is surprising uh in the sense that like it's not like it's a there there was a sudden change in events right that like ftx did something uh you know last week that was really different than what than how it had been operating this whole time uh and that caused people to get spooked or caused governments to, you know, regulators to, you know, uh, open up an investigation, right? Like there wasn't some big event that happened. It was instead uh, a peak in their books that caused the entire market to collapse around, uh, around them. Uh, you know, it was Coindesk. All of this was caused by um, a, a report from Coindesk, which, you know, I tend to think of as a crypto friendly news outlet, but they've kind of, but they, in a, in a way where they just can't help but uh, do crypto critical stuff occasionally because it's so difficult to. <laughs> like our friends at the uh, Financial Times, you know? Yeah. Leading business press also. Um, uh, sometimes <laughs> we'll shit on uh, the chest of some financier or um, or founder who uh, you know gets a too big of a head. That's right. That, this is this is uh, the market doing self regulation. Is the you know the 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 trade rags and mouthpieces of the market will occasionally be the most critical of the market. Um, and I think a lot of that comes down to like you know we always joke that. 
Financial Times is full of crypto Marxists. Uh, not crypto like crypto, but crypto like yeah, right. crypto. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, undercover fifth column Marxist. Exactly. Your yeah, neighborhood. Marxist. Uh, and it seems like Coindesk is occasionally filled with like, you know, secret anti-crypto because like they, they run columns uh, that are like, you know, hypercritical of like the metaverse, right? And this report from Coindesk is really just a uh, a peek into the internal internal accounting of FTX, which revealed, you know, looking at their ledger, that it is exactly as you as you uh, said, Ed, where it's like it, it's merely showing what all of us have known to be the case, but showing the extent to it in a way that's undeniable. That FTX had a number of uh, its assets were essentially all. Sp- speculative assets that were far outweighed by its real liabilities and debt, right? Speaking of the Financial Times, they uh, they had a report that just came out. talks about how the, the headline is FTX held less than $1 billion in liquid assets against $9 billion in liabilities. And then actually, if we look down in terms of what that liquid assets is, it's, uh, it's, it's actually less than a billion in terms of like, what they can actually sell and get a billion dollars for. Um, you know, the majority of their so-called liquid assets is about is $470 million of Robinhood shares um, owned by a uh, Bankman-Fried vehicle not listed uh, in the bankruptcy filings that uh, for FTX, um, which the FTX's bankruptcy filings included uh, no less than 134 separate corporate entities. Um, so... <laughs> They they were they were creating LLCs like they like like they were creating tokens just out of nothing. Yeah, the the corporate structure looks like a polycule. It's it's really fascinating <laughs> uh, seeing how many entities are connected to one another um, and only to one other entity or or are have overlapping officers, employees, associates, connections. Um, it's. It, you know, if me personally, if I wanted to run a really good, streamlined, fraudulent operation, I might, you know, use this structure. I think this, like, maybe they should teach this in business classes how to, how to hide your money and put in backdoors, as SBF was reported doing, how to put backdoors in, you know, your 140 entities so that money you secretly dip into the cookie jar to take out doesn't get flagged by other executives and internal auditor internal red flags or auditing mechanisms it's a, it's a good sign when you have to throw your money through the laundry machine just so you can transfer it to uh, between different corporate entities that you own that's 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 good business that's actually just being really fastidious making sure your money is clean you know you don't want to you don't want no dirty money accidentally getting into them uh, inter uh, intra LLC uh, cash flows. Speaking of the liquidity crunch, you know, that FTX is under underlying. And, you know, again, this is not something new. This was rather just a, a, a revelation that this is how they've been doing business the entire time. So, you know, I, I mentioned that they've only, you know, FT reports they only have a billion dollars in liquid assets, whereas they're facing $9 billion in, in uh, liabilities. But the majority of their liquid assets are, you know, half of that is. Uh, Robinhood shares, 
And as the FT reports, they're not going to get $470 million for the Robinhood shares that Bankman Freed owns, you know, via one of his corporate entities. Uh, you know, FT was talking about how some unknown, uh, unnamed uh, potential investor was in talks with uh, Bankman Freed to buy his Robinhood shares at a 20% discount, which means, you know, and, and then, uh, the unnamed investor quoted uh, in the FT backed out of that deal because it, even at that price, it seemed way too risky. Uh, and so at best, the best deal on the table at this point that we know of was a 20% discount for nearly $500 million in Robinhood shares, which means they're taking a $100 million haircut on the Robinhood shares alone. And that's the majority of their liquid assets available to them. Uh, so it, it's, it's not looking, it's not looking great, you know, in terms of the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that the, the foundations of FTX and it is fictitious. It's all based on fictitious capital. You know, the FT has a nice breakdown where they say, you know, other documents provided to investors say that FTX uh, US, Bankman Freed's onshore exchange, held $115 million of in, in cash, right? And so that's some of their liquid assets. Uh, but uh, what uh, the other assets they had were $5.5 billion of quote-unquote less liquid assets consisting of crypto tokens. Baby, you ain't getting nothing for those crypto tokens. <laughs> you, saying you have $5.5 billion in crypto tokens is literally just putting into a spreadsheet we have $5.5 billion in crypto tokens. There is not tied to any material uh, commodities, production, labor, nothing in the real economy, right? So, so that, 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 that is all but useless. And they've got $3.2 billion of illiquid private equity investments. Illiquid being that they can't touch it. They cannot realize that into money. Uh, and very, very telling and funny that uh, FTX li listed no Bitcoin assets, but it did list $1.5 billion of Bitcoin liabilities on its balance sheet. So things are looking really, really solid and good over at FTX. Um, you know, we can get, I want to get into more of the details in part because a lot of the reporting about this has really focused on Sam Bankman Freed. And we've talked about him a little bit. And I think it's worth now talking about him more talking. You, you said they're hyper complex corporate structure. Uh, I saw, I saw someone comparing their corporate structure with Enron's corporate structure. And by comparison, you know, Enron had a famously complex and convoluted corporate structure. And by comparison, it looks like a, a dream of elegant sophistication compared to uh, uh, FTX's corporate structure. And you, you talked about it as a polycule, and, and that's also apparently not metaphorical. Uh, FTX was just run by a polycule of uh, Sam Bankman-Fried and like his like 10 of his uh, roommates uh, in the Bahamas. Um, so we can get into all of that. Before we do, though, I want to make a broader point here that uh, while, there, while this is absolutely uh, a spectacle and it's huge, right? It's a huge collapse of, uh, a, a, of a person who was touted as potentially becoming the world's first trillionaire. You know, Sam Bankman-Fried held this like 
uh, this Pied Piper mystique over the media and over supposedly savvy uh, investors whose whole business is wrapped up apparently, supposedly again in doing due diligence, and yet Sequoia Capital runs uh, uh, a, a absolutely masturbatory profile of him like a mere week or two ago, right? Um, and, and so while a lot of the attention here is focused on Sam Bankman-Fried as this kind of weird Svengali wonderkin in crypto, uh, and the collapse of it is, you know, having this reverberating effect across the crypto economy and Web3 and all of that and causing a lot of massive losses. I mean, you know, again, another massive destruction of wealth on a level that labor uh, that the proletariat has not done in a very long time. Uh, the bourgeoisie continue to uh, put the gun in their mouth and eat bullets. Um, but I don't want us to get caught up in the idea that this is like something unique, right? And I've seen this framing a lot. You know, friend, friend, friend of the show, Ed Zitron, you know, called it a uh, dumb in Enron, right? Which mm -hmm. is, I, you know, he's like, for those who are unaware, you know, dumb Enron is currently unfolding. And I've, but I've also seen people like Martin Shrelly, uh, you know, call it, uh, in you know, call this an Enron moment for crypto. At the same time, in a uh, in a Discord chat that he was doing, hosted by Autism Capital, <laughs> with with you know with other people. <laughs> um, the, names, the names of these accounts. I know, I know, but I want to shy us away from the Enron comparison here a little bit because you know. Well, you know, while our friend Ed is, you know, calling it dumb Enron because it's funny and it, you know, and, 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 you know, showing that, you know, this kind of financial engineering, you know, this, this ain't the first time it's happened and so on. Martin, people like Martin Shrelly are calling it Enron as uh, self-consciously and explicitly as a way of saying uh, this is about rooting out bad apples, right? The, uh, the idea that, that FTX is merely a, uh, a bad apple, that Sam Bankman-Fried is merely a, a bad apple uh, in the Web3 economy and the crypto economy uh, is also a really self-reflexively a strategy for throwing Sam Bankman-Fried on the sacrificial pyre, right? Making him into a scapegoat saying, man, you know, Coindesk is reporting on this, you know, Martin Shrelly calling this Enron, right? You got all these, you know, people that are in the corner for crypto, you know, not coming to Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX's defense, but instead being like, Man, it's so good that we finally rooted out one of these bad apples um, so that we can all finally get back to, you know, a uh, good business as usual. No, the, the, uh, reject that comparison, even if it's done in jest, even if it's done by, by people on our side, uh, let alone when it's done by people like Martin Shrelly and so on. Reject that comparison. This is not a bad, this is not a case of bad apples, nor was Enron a case of bad apples. Uh, but that's what it has come, you know, that's how it's been painted as hist in history, right? As a, a highly unique and solitary case of financial engineering at a, uh, you know, uh, and, and fraud uh, at an unforeseen scale. And that's what people will say about FTX. Reject 
that comparison. This is merely a sign of a systemic problem. Uh, it is exactly what Ed was talking about before, where you know FTX was was doing highly over, you know, up until like this week when it's collapsing, FTX was doing highly over leveraged buyouts and bailouts of other uh, uh, companies in the crypto and Web3 economy that were undergoing its their own liquidity crunch problems, right? FTX was setting itself out, up as the, the, the lender of last resort or the, you know, the the kind of Fed Reserve of uh, the Federal Reserve of uh, the Web three crypto economy. That's how they were kind of setting themselves up as, uh, and and I think it's telling that you know their their whole uh, persona, Sam Bankman Fried's whole persona as the kind of uh, uh, you know the savior of crypto was based on the fact that. The very problem uh, FTX is undergoing right now is one that a series of companies have been undergoing for years now. Uh, and these, these kind of cascading liquidity crunches are not each bad apples uh, in an otherwise, you know, uh, you know, savory bunch or whatever. These are all uh, signs of systemic problems. So, I just want to, before we dive into the admittedly very entertaining details of Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX and all of that, I want to really make it clear that this is not an isolated case, that this is and always has been uh, a systemic, ongoing problem. And now a word from our sponsor, FTX Future Fund. Okay, quit messing around, man. Give me some tips on crypto. No. But you are an expert, right? No. I'm not an expert, and I don't need to be. Let's get into the details now of all this. I know you've been, you know... You, you've been you've been you've been watching watching it all unfold, uh, you know, eagerly, Ed, and you've been keeping an eye on Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX for 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 much longer before it just became the thing everybody wants to talk about. Uh, so why don't we get into the details of of you know we've laid out some of the the problems in terms of you know the liquidity crunch, you know, getting a peek into their accounting and seeing you know all of the the real liabilities uh, stacked up against the speculative assets. But I don't know, lay lay out like who is Sam Bankman-Fried? Why why are people like our you know, William McCaskill and the other effective altruists, you know, now going out of their way to uh, 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 abandon uh, in their time of need these uh, these posers and and fake friends uh, like Sam Bankman-Fried? Like you know, what 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 is going on with all this, and what what's happening with Alameda Research uh, and and all all of it? Right, like get us into the details, Ed. Sam Bankman-Fried is this sort of crypto wonder kid, right? He's 30 years old. Um, he's been around for a little over a little over five years, maybe six, um, but has only really risen in the scene and at least in the public eye. And by public, I mean just like people in crypto and media the last two years and, and politics. I think he's most notable for a few things. One is for running FTX, right? Which is an exchange that allows you to really trade 
your money for crypto in an expand in a really wide and expansive way. I mean, um, the pitch he made to Sequoia uh, Capital, which invested two hundred thirteen million dollars in him in FTX, was that he wants you to turn your dollar into anything. If you want to turn it into something to buy a banana, go for it. If you want to turn it into uh, an infinitesimally small share of Bitcoin, go for it. If you want to also trade spec- uh, financial contracts and instruments. Uh, that are connected to crypto, you can do so on this exchange, right? It's a place where you can come if you want to do any sort of degenerate crypto trade. Now, Sam Bankman-Fried himself, um, you know, was trading securities until he uh, at this place called Jane Street until he started uh, quit in like what 2017, and then began working for Center for Effective Altruism, which was. Um, a charity for effective altruists, right? This is around the time that you start to see them, um, the transformation of effective altruism into long-termism, which I think is notable here because, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried has always considered himself a long-termist, right? Someone who says, and as he said, concerns about global poverty and global health are a bit emotional, right? They're not really forward-thinking as you might think in a, and they're not as defensible morally because you'll g- generate more utility, more happiness, more pleasure by prioritizing the minimization of pandemic res- uh, pandemics, wiping out humanity, extinction level events, right? Because you're preserving the number of lives, um, you're expanding the number of future lives, and you're improving conditions for future lives to live in higher living or higher quality um higher quality of life or have a higher quality of life or have a larger increase in their quality of life than people who might be alive today. So the long-termist argument is ends up being a utilitarian defense of investing in long-term shifts as opposed to short-term solutions to political problems like inequality and global health and, and poverty, right? But all of that to say, you know, this is someone who has been thinking about these things and that's kind of like the background perspective he has. He starts... Almeida Research, you know, his crypto trading firm, you know, when he's 25, uh, about around 2017, 2018. And he uses it. It's primarily created so that he can exploit um, slippage and, and, and arbitrary and arbitrage um, between um, prices of Bitcoin in different markets across the world, right? Uh, in the Odd Lots podcast, he has a really interesting example. I encourage people to listen to that episode where he talks about how he was able to create a system that allowed him to notice that there were you know premiums for bitcoin in 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 east asia um and set up accounts by paying people to set up these accounts um trading opportunities for himself there to make millions of dollars in 2019 is when he funds or when he creates ftx um and, and initially bases in hong kong and moves it uh to the bahamas following and then uh, you know creates a an american division of that ftx.us hong kong is a popular attraction for investors for what might be considered relatively lax financial regulations and for similar reasons bahamas was chosen and it's there that he attracts investors such as sequoia capital and binance by sequoia capital is important because they did a, they led a 400 million dollar uh, funding round that generated uh, and then uh, pushed the funding up to two billion and 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 led, landed at a valuation of thirty two billion for FTX and that really catalyzed a lot of the public attention that it was going to get following up there. But Binance is significant for a few reasons, right? One is that if you dig through a CZ's a CZ's uh, tweets, and this is the the head of Binance. 
you'll notice that in around 2019, he's mocking an exchange, a crypto exchange that attempted to do a, a sort of speculative attack on, on one of Binance's currencies, on native tokens, but it failed. And he mocks it and and has a and has fun la- laughing about it a little bit, but says like we're strong, we are not going to you know be broken by this. They know who the exchange is that tried to do it. They invest in um, FTX shortly thereafter, a few months after this. Um, they are the first investor in FTX, and they are the ones who set off this bank run on FTX. And when some people tweeted about how, oh, this is funny, this must be petty, this must be revenge, you know, CZ was liking the tweets uh, that said, well, you know, this is how the cookie crumbles. This is just, you know, payback. This is, um, this makes sense. What comes around goes around. So there's one, one fun theory uh, that might be worth thinking about is that all of this was done because uh, <laughs> was a three-year revenge plot to get back at a at an exchange that tried to attack the native tokens price and by doing so this might have accidentally killed uh consumer at least retail crypto um uh and the appetite of the population to you know speculate or trade with these speculative assets which would be also really funny whoops (laughs) whoops in my quest for revenge i forgot to dig two graves (laughs) Um, um i think that that would be poetic if that's the case, time will tell. Um, I'm really interested to see what goes on with uh, crypto markets after that. But the the background being here that FTX, you know, quickly starts to establish itself. It you know it is valued really high at these billions. That gives Sam Bankman Fried uh, a status of a billionaire in a relatively short span of time, little over a year and a half, maybe two years. Um, and then comes the wave of fawning, embarrassing, hagiographic profiles right you know so we start to see you know the most embarrassing one is one done by sequoia capital right i mean like listen i get i get the job of these capital allocators you got to sell the product and you know you got to sell the person you invested in so that you can get that outsized return but they had this writer adam fisher who wrote Really just like a breathless profile, thousands and thousands and thousands of words fawning over his mystique, titled FTX's SBF has a savior complex, and maybe you should too. And there's, it's just full of reverence for S, uh, for Bankman-Fried, right? Painting him as someone who was consumed with the desire to do good in the world, uh, unconcerned with business convention and attire, uh, uh, focused on finding smart, innovative shortcuts to make money that others weren't seeing. Um, someone who was able to talk philosophy, despite in the interview also saying that books are a waste of time and that if you've written a book, you fucked up. It should just be a six paragraph blog post. I think one of my favorite points in the article is where he kind of opens up asking like, am I talking to the world's first trillionaire? Right. Um, and, 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 and admits that this is a stupid question, but one that he then immediately counters that this is a stupid question with by asking another, a Sequoia, by asking a Sequoia partner, if this is the world's first trillionaire. And she's like, wow, you know, maybe that's very exciting to think about. Makes you think, um, Ed. makes you think. Yeah. <laughs> 
me you know, going up I to think- every single person I meet and being like, wow, am I talking to the world's first trillionaire? And maybe <laughs> one of them will be. It's 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 the Pascal's wager of trillionaires, right? If you believe everybody can be a trillionaire, you will meet the first trillionaire. <laughs> yeah. Hey, the first trillionaire is, is either on this pod or listening to it. Best believe that. <laughs> the first um, there is you, girl. <laughs> yeah, you're reading this. Um, yes, and and there they follows from here uh, a few waves of of PR about Sam Bankman Freed, and there are different waves uh, that come at different moments, right? The first is a bit interest in this uh, kind of weird ass kid who has billions of dollars and keeps talking about how he wants to give it all away. And part of and some of this is like a an, uh, a little bit of an exploration of his effective altruism, but doesn't glean the insight that you might gain by learning he's a long termist, right? He's not someone who's concerned with optimizing uh, the effectiveness of your charitable contributions. He's someone who's concerned with uh, achieving the most amount of nirvana for digital humans that will live in the far future which espouses and is connected to a sort of cynicism that makes sense if you're involved in crypto, right? So I'll try to distinguish, you know, the things they missed and 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 what the insight should be from each wave, right? So that first wave, this is an interesting kid. He's made money very quickly. He wants to give it all away. Missing out on asking some basic questions like how did he earn that money very quickly, right? There's not a lot of looking into S- and into FTX's core business model and also uh a kind of refusal to really dig down and, and think about crypto, you know, how crypto exchanges work and whether or not this money is being earned in genuinely productive and value-creating ways or by siphoning, by fee harvesting, by skimming off the top, which is how a lot of these operations act and, and since then have been revealed to act more concretely. And also missing out by not addressing the long-termism, the cynicism that I think is inherent here and that the idea that more good then harm can be done by creating a crypto enterprise, which pulls in a lot of people, scams some people, but delivers wealth to someone who knows what to do with it in effectively good and positive far-flung outcomes or causes. Um, the second wave of, of PR after this interest is a kind of uh, a question mark about what... FTX is starting to do, um, and 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 a little bit more digging into effective altruism and long termism, right? So part of this is you know Sam Bankman Fried appears in some profiles about William McCaskill. Um, William McCaskill is probably the you know the the main face of this this reformation of effective altruism, right? Where William McCaskill was someone who adhered very closely to Peter Singer's original articulation of this, is trying to figure out the way to effectively um, contribute to charities in ways where the money would go further than it would elsewhere. So learn, so trying to calculate, for example, maybe there are two identical causes offering bed, net, bed nets. But are they in different areas, in different regions, in different uh, you know organizations that would improve lives better? Are there different operations that might add more quality of life than others? Right? Is it make does it, should you donate to operations that res- restore uh, eyesight? You know, with relatively in- invasive or uninvasive um, methods, or should you focus on bed nets to reduce malaria? 
Or should you focus on dewarming? You know, should you focus on literacy programs, on microfinance? I mean, what are the best ways to get the most impact? But William McCaskill represents a shift, uh, as we talked about in previous episodes, from that to thinking more about how do we earn to give? How do we funnel people into careers that might have odious social costs? Investment bankers, advertisement, communications, you know, how do we funnel people into these like, you know, odious but very profitable careers so that they can have more money to give to these causes? And then finally to transformation, the Silicon Valley iteration, I think we can safely describe it as where you're asking how do we think about what are the real risks to humanity and how do we minimize them so that we can maximize the pleasure future generations will have? What do we owe future generations? You know, what, what sort of things should we do today to make the world better? Should we try to focus on solving political problems in the now, or should we focus on existential risk that might make all of this moot um, and get in the way of real utility being generated for far-flung generations, right? And, and part of the reason why this second wave comes up is because Bankman-Fried starts saying, I plan on donating $100 million, a billion, I think, was the, was the most extreme outer range for political contributions to Democrats. Of course, that was one that was taken out of context or not properly. He, he, it wasn't taken out of context. He said he misstated that he was going to spend that much money on the Democrats. Nonetheless, FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried had been upping their lobbying holding fundraisers for Congress people, Democrats specifically in the Senate, amid a notable shift among regulators and politicians in their language about crypto. I mean, he was courting pretty actively CFTC. He had recruited the uh, former head of the FTC, I believe. Um, he was trying to court or work with, uh, you know, regulators who'd be interested in securities law that would affect FTX and trying to find ways to in, in convince people to have a light hand. Uh, he was, um, I think, you know, partly responsible for, but it played a role in creating an environment where you have people like Cory Booker and Kirsten Gillibrand um, loudly, you know, saying that maybe crypto is like a way of social, of achieving social mobility for uh, for groups that are disadvantaged, right? For uh, racial minorities, um, for people who are unbanked. And, and I think this is significant because, you know, Christian Gellerman, for example, is a senator who, you know, railed pretty hard against pandemic insider trading by, um, by people in Congress and also by people on Wall Street. But also at the same time, is kind of supporting crypto, which, as we know, is rife with the sort of fraud that makes insider trading look like uh, a day in the candy store. And Cory Booker experimenting with, but I don't think committing in the way Gillibrand did with this language and rhetoric about how crypto can be used to improve the lives of black and brown families who don't have as much household wealth as white counterparts. Um, so the second wave comes because of political activism that's coming. But again, also this wave comes because it's not connected to and doesn't have a clear sense of what EA in this second wave is all about, which is, you know, there have been efforts to try to cultivate more friendly environments, whether that's by coverage, whether that's by uh, political connections, whether that's by influencing policy. Um, there's been a, there's been a real attempt to try to cultivate this mindset outside of just the circles of people who are earning to give or who are constructing foundations and networks to distribute these funds into charitable causes. The third wave. The most recent wave comes during the crypto winter, right? During this crash that, you know, one of many crashes, but I think maybe we can 
pin or bound this crash in timeline last year's fall to winter ongoing the notable events being of course the collapse of terra leading to the collapse of three arrows leading to the collapse of voyager uh also connecting to the collapse of celsius um to the sputtering of block five but now most recently it's collapse um and sam bankman freed specifically doling out credit facilities lifelines bailouts for these firms and of course people thinking about it in ways that were like oh this is the jp morgan trying of the of the crypto world right trying to save the ecosystem from collapse and in some ways he was but missing what that means which is like you know one trying to shore up um an industry that is really one major liquidity crunch away from collapsing because there is not a lot of liquidity to begin with because leverage is what dominates the growth of any of these exchanges, the growth of any of these projects. The, um, there's a constant you know, attempt to shuffle the cards and synthesize new assets, extend the chain of leverage, um, find new suckers to bring in liquidity, which can then quickly get you know packaged up into more esoteric and and bullshit uh instruments ongoing in a way that's dangerous and toxic to the system but all of that gets obscured by the efforts of one person to save it you know sbf's efforts to to save the ecosystem to reiterate should be understood as attempts to distract from its fundamental instability at a point where he was rising and his exchange was becoming more central to it um and to distract from closer scrutiny of, I think, closer scrutiny of his own empire. Because his own empire was premised on a lot of these things. And he definitely got looks at their books and saw that they were doing what he was doing, right? So I think it stands to reason that the third wave, you know, also had its own shortcomings, flaws, blindsides, just like the first two waves, right? Not being cynical enough about it, even though SBF himself had stated how cynical he was about the industry, right? Describing on on the Bloomberg podcast, which I think is the most popular example for people, that he's considered yield farming to just be like you know, a Ponzi scheme, right? He described it as like a magic box that we all say has a certain value. And so we pull money out of it as if it has that certain value, but it doesn't really have it. And it stops having it this time, the second that anyone disagreed. And the and as a result of those shortcomings and flaws and 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 lack of being as critical or cynical as he is, this presented and allowed a picture of crypto be put forward as faltering and not really systemically flawed, right? And now that you step back and you see that he was engaged in what I'm sure will be found to be deep, deep, deep fraud. I mean, we're already seeing the picture that's coming together is deeply fraudulent already, and we don't have the full books. You know, the bankruptcy of filings and proceedings yet, this is an attempt, and it was a successful attempt to try to get people to not think of crypto as fundamentally flawed and doomed and unstable, but as going through a rough patch that it just needed someone to pull in. But I think also a shining light in this was... The Economist had an interesting profile where they pointed out, you know, J.P. Morgan did save the financial system, but he also did invite more regulation of it, right? And that that is almost certainly what SBF would do, right? By orchestrating a way for everyone to bail each other out and to be kept afloat, um, you would invite regulators to also then keep a steady hand, either by modeling that strategy or by getting scared with how 
how they were able to save themselves or, or you know, for uh, a multitude of reasons coming together and saying, we need to impose some discipline and, and boundaries and regulatory frameworks that ensure this doesn't happen again. And also that these people don't even have the autonomy to, to privately rescue each other, deploy capital and allocate it in ways that, you know, should, should only be in our purview. We think should only be in our purview. You know, these are sort of the three major waves of, 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 of coverage that come to SBF at each stage, not really questioning how the money is earned, what the money, what's being done with the money and why the money is being deployed as it is, um, in each stage, missing out the core philosophical cynicism that he operates with, partly because some people believe more good could be done with it than bad, partly because some people were not familiar with it. Um, and didn't realize the, the odious outcomes and conclusions and assertions it made about what we should do with our politics and our and economics, and partly because of not being as hard on or as critical of crypto as they should be given what we know about it, right, and how fraudulent it can be and is, um, and how little liquidity exists inside of the system and how there's a lack of use cases and how the main ones are speculation, money laundering, um, and buying drugs. <laughs> and, 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 and of course, synthesizing these assets. But I mean, the most useful ones, the most useful thing you can do with it is not buy an NFT, right? And it's not organized on some DAO to help buy a real world asset. It is to do crime. I mean, like it's much more valuable to do crime than to own an NFT. Yeah, do fi- do financial crimes. You can, yeah, you, you know, can, you can. At that, that, that worst, you might be a billionaire for a few years until you know until yeah. they gotta edit your Wikipedia to say former billionaire. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Ed, you know, always a joy to have you on the podcast, uh, you know, to, to really lay, de- lay these things down for us. <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, I think you're exactly right here because, uh, you know, I, I think the question next is like, what is what comes next for crypto, right? Like what comes next in the aftermath of uh, FTX is, you know, still unfolding, but obviously dev- devastating and catastrophic collapse. It's not even an implosion, right? It's absolutely an explosion. You know, the number of other people that have had to, you know, like, you know, Sequoia Capital, I think had, as I mentioned, had to like, you know, uh, tell what they, they, they took down the glowing, uh, profile they wrote of him and then, and they expunged it from their website. And in its place, they put up a letter to their, uh, limited partners, explaining that uh, they were marking down their investments in uh, FTX to zero, which means that they are admitting that their what $150 million investment into FTX is uh, now worthless. It's nothing. It is marked to zero. Um, and so this is not an implosion. It's absolutely an explosion with a lot of collateral damage happening. But fortunately, it does seem like not a lot of contagion, you know, quote unquote contagion in the real economy, um, which I think 
for a lot of people has been like, I know that's what like uh, people like Kevin Roos were really focused on. Is there contagion in the real economy here? I think that is in there in part their way of saying, Hey, it's fine. It was contained. This was a con uh, like a, a controlled uh, demolition of FTX, right? Which means that, hey, you know, at the end of the day, didn't we didn't they behave pretty responsibly uh, in the face of a massive catastrophe? And I I, I can imagine um, that a, a lot of what comes next with the political lobbying, you know, uh, for, with, you know, with the, uh, the, these proponents and advocates and lobbyists with crypto and, and web three is to say, regulate us, please regulate us. It's exactly as you pointed out, right? Like, you know, in the midst of, in the wake of a disaster, the industry that caused the disaster welcomes regulation, because that means they don't they don't want to be abolished, <laughs> you know, which is what should happen. Instead, they say, regulate us so that we can behave better. Please, please, you know, put us on a disciplinary track so that we can do better. Uh, and I think I would not be surprised if we haven't already seen it. Um, if we start seeing very loud, full-throated calls for a uh, Glass-Steagall act for crypto um, because a lot of what happened here is essentially that so glass-steagall for listeners right this you know this the the banking act of 1933 also called glass-steagall was put in right after the great depression as one of these massive economic disasters met with regulation of the industry that caused it rather than some kind of uh, app, like a big regulation, but nothing near the kind of like massive restructuring, radical restructuring and abolishment um, that should have happened. You know, Glass-Steagall puts up a firewall or is meant to put up a firewall separating uh, and forbidding commercial banks with deposits so consumer, you know, where customers, consumers put their checking and savings accounts and so on, forbade commercial banks um, from owning an affiliate that traded securities, right? So it puts up this firewall between commercial banks and investment banks. They can't share directors. Um, you know, uh, they, they can't have any of these direct financial dealings with each other. Um, you know, there are these stringent regulations and controls between commercial banks and investment banks. This is important because this is essentially the problem with FTX, right? A big aspect here, you know, Ed, you laid out the history very well. I'll, 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 I'll you know, hone us in on the connection between Alameda Research and FTX. Alameda Research being the hedge fund that, as you mentioned, Sam Bankman-Fried founded as a way to do uh, pricing arbitrage with Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. You know, not... Uh, this there, there's no production anymore. It's all financial engineering, and that's all this was. It's just price arbitrage, um, and then FTX, right? The crypto exchange. So in a way, we can look at this as something similar to you know, Al Alameda Research as the hedge fund. That's the you know they're doing securities, they're doing investment. Uh, FTX, not really a commercial bank in this analogy, but more like it, right? Because they did, they were customer facing, they were real retail facing. And a big problem is, is that they used uh, customers' deposits to 
then bankroll the gambling and then, uh, uh, that was happening over Alameda Research. So there was this no separation. They shared the, the, the CEO of Alameda Research after saying Bankman-Fried went on to, you know, uh, found and lead uh, FTX is this uh, woman named Carolyn Ellison, uh, who it is like Sam Bankman Freed, very young. They knew each other at Jane Street. She left Jane Street very shortly after uh, you know, joining that hedge fund in order to go off with Sam Bankman Freed to delve into the world of crypto and found and you know do Alameda res, uh, research or do Alameda, do FTX. Uh, and Caroline was the CEO of Alameda and uh, Alameda, little did we know, and this is the back door that you were talking about, uh, that Alameda owed something like $10 billion to FTX to, because of uh, all the, not only apparently investing and gambling, but just massive losses that Alameda was was rake, uh, uh, you know, racking up. I think it's a nice little note here that Caroline Ellison, you know, uh, is the her parents are both very famous economists at MIT, uh, and Sam Bankman-Fried's parents are both uh, very well-known law uh, law professors at Stanford. Uh, so we're we're looking at pedigrees of excellence here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, <laughs> joining forces. This is this is a real East Coast meets West Coast uh, situation going on. It's a beautiful one, really. Also, I think that's that needs to be uh, to be said. I mean, I think that it also. <laughs> I mean, hey, look, if you're wondering why, um, if you're listening to Sam Bankman Freed, and you're listening, and you and you're like, am I just a fucking idiot? Why don't I understand something he's saying? Remember, both of his lawyers, both of his parents are lawyers. Right, that he's he's very fluent in that speak. I think about all the interviews I have read of him, where he's talking about hierarchies of infinity and and needling into the semantics of vagaries and aphorisms. It's nonsense. I think that's also part of the pool and appeal here. Right, speaking with him and some of the mindless, airy, heady arguments and debates and discussions he gets into sound very like they're waxing philosophical. I think some people have referred to him as a philosopher king, right? This is someone who's just like has created really like exploited public opinion, coverage, connections, regulators, um, their blind spots, their eagerness to raise money, to protect or attack crypto pretty effectively to, to create like an air of mystery about himself that, has reduced the level of scrutiny to a levels it lower than it should be, right? Um, and as you're talking about, I mean, I think this backdoor is in it itself also a big example. I mean, from what we know so far, all of the other crypto exchanges that have collapsed and been proven to be just like engaged in outright fraudulent behavior, I don't think any of them had that. Right. I don't think any of the crypto exchanges I can think of had back doors that allowed them to funnel billions of dollars and bypass internal auditing mechanisms. The relationship between these firms and each other, between Almeida and and um, FTX, you know, with the chief executive being one of his uh, former partners and possibly in a polycule with him, in it, that in of itself doesn't even matter. You know, they should do whatever you want. But I, but I think like that the fact that it seems that core part of the operations were run by people who 
we're not really interested in checking one another. Um, and we're interested, it seems, in enriching one another or pursuing incredibly risky things they might not otherwise because they were working with each other. Uh, paints a picture, a very, a very a wild picture that it seems like anyone who is critical of and, and spent time with would have would have noticed. I think I would hope that anyone who spent any time interviewing Sam Bankman Fried and, and learned that his, you know, one of his former partners was running Almeida research might ask what sort of conflicts of interest and blind spots might that emerge? What sort of relationship between the firms might exist, you know? Um, but none of those questions were ever really raised. Even when there were starting to be hints of this, even when there were, you know, we had hints that they owed, they had a relationship in this, uh, the companies had a relationship in terms of assets that were owed to one another, right? But but there was very little that was ever dug into further. I think Ed Zetron was the only person I saw, and that was back in August, who who learned that there were loans between FTX and Almeida and said there's an inconsistency in the numbers that are being presented by them, which suggests to me that they're not being upfront with both people who are interested in covering this, but they're also n probably not being upfront internally, right? And that this suggests if they're not being upfront to the people who are covering them and internally, they're probably there's probably a few other things going on. There are probably, you know, other times that we've seen, um, other times that we've seen this sort of behavior, we've seen ridiculous loans, right? We've seen ridiculous bets. We've seen speculative behavior that, socializes the risk and socializes the cost but privatizes all the profits and what do you and, and and that model gets even more distorted if the people in your inner circle are some of your closest friends and former lovers right i just it just like every single part of this picture smells like rotten and yeah hindsight is 2020 but from what i can tell uh the people who had the best access to him the people who spent days with him, the people who wrote profiles where they traveled around with him or were embedded in his schedule, wrote some of the most loving, fawning profiles. Um, and and it seems like wanted to be fooled, right? And and robbed us of the ability to uh, warn people and to think about what's going to happen now. I mean, they had they had $13 billion of customers' money put in there. And it, of course, it's a different pro class of investors than the public, right? FTX was widely used. It was the biggest one, but a lot of the... A lot of the people who lose the most, right, are these investors and celebrities and public figures who are convinced to put their money in there, as well as institutions that might have made deals with them, right? The pension fund that lost $95 million with them. Tom Brady and his wife, now divorced, uh, reportedly put in a you know, significant amount of money and invested in it. They bought... Well, like, like a significant amount. I heard that Tom Brady put like 400, like converted like 400 million dollars of his personal wealth into crypto uh like very recently because that's uh man this motherfucker is gonna be playing football until he's like 60 years old and make up for that money he lost. <laughs> yeah. yeah get back on that field man you gotta make that money back yeah <laughs> you got some God balls damn. Bro, no, no sympathy for him but that fucking sucks <laughs> god damn can you imagine the week of your divorce <laughs> your wife didn't even leave you for crypto and you find out <laughs> you lost your life savings. <laughs> Maybe she did leave him for crypto. Maybe it wasn't football. She was in that Maybe crypto ad with crypto. him. Uh, for the listeners, uh, FTX also had a very big uh, crypto ad where Tom Brady and his wife, his wife is the one that convinces him to get into FTX in the ad. 
Yeah, Giselle um, Bündchen, Bündchen, right? Who's like yeah, a world-famous model in her own, right? Yeah, well, maybe he left her because of the crypto thing. Yeah, maybe he left her because of crypto. So Giselle is like, hey, I heard about this thing. And they call it people. And the ad is interesting. They call, every, uh, they call everyone they know. They're like, I'm in. Let's bring in everyone. Call the people who hate them. Call a doctor. Call a chefs and, and line cooks. With the implication being also that you're instantly going to earn money. Uh, but of course, if you say that's the implication, they'd be like, no, 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 that's not the implication. It's an opportunity, right? I'm giving you an opportunity of the lifetime to take in place in the future of the financial system, even though um, in the midst of this whole entire crisis, when people are saying, okay, so we have proof that you were trading customer uh, deposits. What do you have to say for yourself? Sam Bankman Fried said, actually, I don't, I didn't do that. I'm I'm just I'm just a small country trader. I, I accidentally labeled all of the customer accounts as corporate accounts. I don't know how to work an Excel spreadsheet. I've got the quote here because it is this is exactly what I was thinking. Like when when the rubber hits the road, they always revert back to I'm just a small bean. You know, like I, I mean, I'm just a, I'm just a, a, a an old country trader here, and I don't know nothing about these Excel spreadsheets. But the quote here is, uh, you know, uh, in a in a long Twitter thread from Sam Bankman Fried, uh, you know, he said in there quote that he he quote unquote fucked up because of quote poor internal labeling of bank related accounts. That was the problem. They just got mixed up. They just got mixed up. With- more labeling. This guy said he was going to buy Goldman Sachs. How are you? How are you the future of finance? How are you going to buy Goldman Sachs and you can't even label your own accounts properly? Fuck off! Every single excuse that these people have given is a lie, and it is it is insane. They have said we we haven't even we haven't even gotten into the aftermath of the bankruptcy filings when they were or in the lead up. Right? They said on the day before. The day before they filed bankruptcy, that FTX US was going to be unaffected. The next day they filed for bankruptcy. They said that they weren't hacked. The general counsel said they were just moving things into cold storage. Turns out that hundreds of millions of dollars were hacked and we have no fucking idea where it is. So FTX in its bankruptcy said the bankruptcy was supposed to freeze all their assets and regulators froze all their assets. FTX said that... Regulators and and regulations in in Bahama allowed them to let Bahama users withdraw funds. What you remember, listener, when we talked earlier about how one of the ways that Sam Bankman Freed made money was trading premiums of Bitcoin prices and arbitraging them. And one of the ways to do that is by paying people in other countries to create accounts on an exchange so that they can trade in your behalf or so that you can trade with that account. What do you think happens if you say that, oh, actually, we are allowing people with Bahamas accounts to uh, withdraw funds? There's going to be a black market for Bahama user accounts, which is exactly what happened. And then what did the Bahama regulators say? We didn't fucking say that. We didn't say that you could withdraw funds from Bahama users accounts. And how many of those Bahaman users' accounts are sock puppets for Sam Bankman Creed <laughs> and the other uh, you know, leaders in the, the polycule uh, of FTX, right? Like, it, it's so obvious that he, like, and, and, you know, I've seen reports as well that, you know, he's under supervision in the Bahamas, but is looking for a way to get to Dubai. Uh, you know, to escape any kind of uh, potential extradition or any extradition or anything like that. Like, 
Bro, <laughs> I, this is this is going to be a bloodbath. I think, like, I was talking with you know, I was talking with some people about this, and I think a lot of people understandably dismiss uh, crypto collapses as things that are going to happen, and no one will walk away. Everyone will walk away with no consequences. But I mean, like, most of these things, most of the times when these things blow up, it's an asset that that lost billions, but in reality, had hundreds of millions behind it, inflated value, people lost a lot of money, and people are hurt, right? But that's it. I mean, these guys are doing actively multiple counts of fraud right now. It is inc- I cannot emphasize how illegal it is to uh, let people withdraw from an exchange when you were ordered by the by the fucking country to freeze the funds. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine. Like I can't emphasize how how bad it is if your general counsel lies about the movement of funds and and then the next day admits that there was a hack, right? Or how bad it is for you to say that there was no, there's not going to be a bankruptcy. Keep your funds on the platform and then declaring bankruptcy the next day. I mean, all of these suggest a few things. I maybe one thing I'm curious about is do effective altruists believe in lawyers? Because it feels like none of these people want to hear, think, or talk to a lawyer that might say, stop fucking tweeting. Stop telling you, getting your friends to withdraw. Stop doing all of this shit, right? I, I'm like, I want, I would love for their skulls to be put up on mantles. But I'm kind of, it's kind of messing with my mind a little how stupid and and, uh, flagrantly uh, fraudulent and illegal some of this shit is starting to become, right? I mean, I I just don't, I'm kind of shocked. And I do think that because of that, we will, there's a few things I think are going to happen. One thing I definitely do think is going to happen is... You know, like, look, Bahamas, there are not that many laws in the Bahamas about regulating finance. That's one of the reasons why people incorporate there and they're breaking them. You know, the reason like, <laughs> like, they're going to come down on them like the fucking fucking Thor's hammer. But I do also think that the level of fraud here and the desperation suggests that this is a new nu- this is going to go nuclear and that there will be a contagion which will wipe out a good chunk of the ecosystem and starve it of investor capital, right? Those are the two things. It's not just that, I mean, like consumer appetite for crypto hasn't been around for about a year at this point, right? It's, it's at historic lows for all, for a lot of the digital assets that were offered in the, in the most recent wave of synthesizing new ventures for people to sink their money into and gamble on. Um, the games are dead. The assets, the NFTs, the volume is dead. It collapsed. A lot of the Coins and tokens, the volume is there to collapse. The prices of the major coins have been, or, you know, or have collapsed and cratered over the past year. Um, you know, what was going to hold this afloat if you were stepping back and looking at it would was always going to be enterprises led using investor capital to subsidize new entries into the marketplace, right? It was going to be firms like FTX. Binance, you burning a lot of money to bring more people onto crypto, but even that had a half life because they already had burned a lot of money to get almost as many people as they possibly can onto this, right? So I think we're just looking at a, situ- a situation where, you know, I would have honestly said for the rest of the year. I think I even said it when I went on the Pivot podcast to do their one of the like Q three predictions or whatever. Um, I said that there would there would be more collapses and there would be a lack of appetite, but I think it's worse than that. And that I don't. I also think investors are going to get cold feet. Consumers are going to keep having cold feet. And I can't. I cannot imagine that more. Like I, there's going to be a contagion from the liquidity crunch 
of FTX collapsing, but then there's also going to be one from the fact that like volume is going to collapse even more. If volume collapses even more, investor capital retreats, like that in of itself is going to cause another crunch, right? So I just can't, I really just can't imagine this not imploding what's left of the consumer markets. I mean, yes, uh, as we know, right? Like, you know, in- institutional investors in the real economy is the, you know, that's the majority of, uh, of the financial markets anyways, right? Like consumer retail investors in the real economy. We, you know, we, we talk about like the New York stock exchange, right? Like it, the vast, vast majority of those stocks are held by institutional investors and asset managers. And so, you know, one of the things that made, uh, crypto so volatile in the first place was the the fact you know we saw this with like GameStop you know as well uh, you know was the massive focus on retail investors so I think you are or yeah retail consumers rather so I think you are correct that we're really at a pivot point here uh, uh, a branch in the road where the institutional investors and the uh, uh, are. You know, are the ones who are really going to decide the fate of crypto at this point? I think are they going to do what like Andreessen Horowitz has been doing for the last you know you know year plus, which is what I've been calling you know kind of like VC Keynesianism, right? Where they meet every put every downfall of in the Web three economy, they meet it with another. $300 million crypto fund, right? Like, you know, so they're, they're trying to, uh, get through the crash by, uh, the only way, the only way out is through, you know, and they're trying to, to, uh, spin their way out of it. I, I do, you know, I think with the collapse of X, FTX and all the absolute chicanery, and I think you're right, like the ongoing roll on effects that are still uh, developing, it is really a big pivot point right here to decide, like, are the institutional investors going to uh, stay the course or are they going to abandon it and leave and go on to something else? Uh, and, you know, while taking massive losses as well, I mean, there's even, you know, unrelated, directly unrelated to FTX, but related in terms of like the broader tech, you know, economy turndown that's happening right now. Talk about institutional investors. Uh, SoftBank is uh, <laughs> SoftBank in the course of like mere weeks has gone from being like a billion and a half in the positive for their investments to now being uh, uh, chalking up a seven point five billion dollar loss uh, last I saw. So you know, uh, once again, SoftBank is the biggest loser here uh, in terms of like sheer number, sheer amount of money lost. But no, all, all this is to say, I think we're at a big pivot point. If every single time a company collapses or loses a lot of money, the first question you should ask is, was SoftBank invested? Because for <laughs> some reason, for I just I've never seen someone do the opposite of what capital allocators is, is supposed to do as effectively as SoftBank. It is amazing. It really. I I admire it so much. Let's just waste Saudi Arabia's money as much as possible. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I do also, I want to, I want to bring us to a close. I want to wrap up the episode, but I also want to emphasize that we're at a pivot point here in one way. And one thing I want people to look out for and, and actively resist in any way you can is 
the big institutional investors calling for some kind of glass steagle for crypto as a uh, as a way out of this uh, out of this this storm uh, this hurricane that is not a solution the solution here is to to contain the, the the crypto chernobyl that's happening right now and leave that shit abandon it abolish it get rid of it not try to regulate it into a more responsible and prudential existence or whatever bullshit no fuck that get rid of it uh and and, and stay away from it at all at all costs um but uh, there, there's, there's, there's more, of course, to get into on this. I'm sure as, uh, you know, we'll, we'll revisit FTX. I think there's even, I want to, there's, there's some nice, there's some fun, some more fun kind of aspects I want to talk about in the premium episode, uh, with a lot of this, uh, people have, you know, I mentioned Caroline Ellison, uh, Sam Bankman Freed is not the only stone cold freak. Uh, who, uh, involved in all of this, uh, people have dug up what are supposedly Caroline Ellison's Tumblr account, uh, which was with the username, uh, uh, world optimization <laughs> and the pro the, the profile name of, uh, fake charity nerd girl. Uh, and, and would you be shocked to learn that if this is actually Caroline Ellison's Tumblr account, uh, long extensive postings about race science uh on on this account and uh in a way that we have not seen uh like, like artisanal race science in a way that we haven't seen uh uh elsewhere it's real this is not just you this, this, this ain't your uh your daddy's race science this is your grand granddaddy's race science. I- what? I didn't know that. Is she Stormfront? <laughs> Listen, dude. The one post of hers I read. No, two posts. One was about how her kink was basically men who rule the world. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. All right, that's a teaser. We're gonna get into all this in the in the in the premium episode. That's that's all you get to learn for now uh, in this episode. So, so if you want that and much more, you can find us at patreon.com slash this machine kills uh, for additional premium episodes every single week. So join us over there in the free feed to learn about uh caroline ellison's uh uh race science uh art you know artisanal race science uh and and much more so uh until then later adios Getting into crypto with FTX. You in? I believe I'm in, but still hate you.
Thank you.